0: Oh, and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hey Park. The Second Row Podcast is available on all podcast apps, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, the works. So go rate, subscribe, tell a friend, do all the things with that.
1: This week we are talking European knockout rugby with Pro 14 sides in action in the quarterfinals of both the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup. But as always, a quick look at the news this week and finally some progress in Wales.
0: Well, given that they seem to have sorted things out for a year, clubs can actually start offering contracts to players.
1: Yeah, we've seen a whole spate of contracts coming out where players are obviously re-signing deals that were being negotiated in the background. But great that they've got a bit of certainty. Again, what's 12 months worth from a certainty point of view? But at least clubs like the Ospreys have got a stay of execution.
0: It's going to be another interesting 12 months. and I use the word interesting, not clown car fiesta.
1: Speaking of clown cars, the French coaching setup appears to be a bit mad. Obviously, there's been rumours for the last couple of weeks that Ronan O'Gara might be joining on a temporary basis. Which he isn't. Which he isn't, but uh, <laughs> debunked by the man himself. But now there's a new change that apparently the next coach is going to be some sort of like democratic vote from the club teams? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's just madness.
0: They're doing everything they can to get Warren Gatland or not get Warren Gatland, as the case
1: may be. I think Warren Gatlin is currently going to be coaching every side in the Six Nations at this rate, if you believe the rumour mill. The other Six Nations side doing a bit of business this week. The Scottish Rugby Union took a minority stake in a new Major League Rugby team based in Washington. D.C. Old Glory or something slightly dodgy-sending. Uh, well,
0: look, it's a much easier way to grow some of the excess talent they have in the two clubs than you know creating a third club with no place to put them in professional rugby. I think an
1: easier way to do things like that is, you know, do a tournament once a year where all your A teams go and play in America. Well, certainly that's been good fun with the Free Jacks games over the last couple of weeks, but this team and obviously the New England Free Jacks will be joining MLR, so there's a competition there for them next year anyway.
0: It will help those young Scottish players that need a bit of game time that they're not getting.
1: Speaking of young Scottish players, we'll kick off at the Champions Cup quarterfinals. Yeah,
0: yeah, let's do that because let's leave my depression for as long as possible.
1: That's fine with me. (laughs) Because
0: we start with a very happy, happy you. Yeah. As Edinburgh hosted Munster and they lost 13 points to 17.
1: So I think there's some ridiculous stat that away wins in the Heineken Cup quarterfinal are something crazy like only 10%. But of those 10%, all bar like two of them are Munster. As a club knockout team in Europe, there is no side better at winning when they shouldn't, and this was a great example of that. Just great intensity levels from both sides, hugely competitive.
0: This was knockout rugby at its best, both teams going hammer and tongs at each other. I have actually watched this game three times, and I'm still like Im- a real podcast <laughs> like I, and I'm still impressed that the physicality the energy. The focus that both teams had for the full 80, just everything w- was almost working for both teams all the time.
1: This was definitely a game where opportunities were at a premium. There was only five clean breaks shared between the two teams and some of the first up tackling was just outstanding by both sides. But the difference here, Munster took their opportunities when they had them available.
0: Watching this match, I would definitely call Munster the Wales of the Champions Cup five entries into the opposition 22 and came away with three scores. Whereas you look at Edinburgh, with all the possession they had, all the territory they had, I think they spent a good 10 to 15 minutes in the monster 22, only coming away with two scores is
1: appalling. It is. They just weren't clinical enough. And they, they certainly didn't play smart rugby. They didn't keep the scoreboard ticking over. None of the cliches, which are cliches for a reason, because they're effective. But... Speaking of cliches, Munster go a man down to tight burn, getting yellow carded correctly for a pretty cynical killing of the ball. But Keith Earls just gets a quick tap and go off a scrum penalty and he's over the line before anybody has realised what's happening.
0: What was Pergos doing slapping the ball out of Murray's hands? He is so lucky not to have been yellow carded after the fact.
1: It's a real gripe of mine. You don't see referees come back and penalise deliberate foul play if a try has been scored. It's a bit of a let-off for, for Pergos and for Edinburgh. It's also a let-off for Munster, because
0: if the ref actually went back and looked at it, he would have had to have penalised Murray for judo-throwing
1: Pergos onto the ground, and then there wouldn't have been a try. Well, that's it. There was a game in the Premiership last week between Saracens and Harlequins, and a try for David Strettle was chalked off because Liam Williams and Danny Kerr were engaged in a prolonged set of handbags on the far side. So... Yeah, I think Munster probably benefited from that, but still slightly dubious refereeing call all around.
0: I think the overall effect of the try being scored
1: was correct, and move on, no one's in the bin, and the game just keeps on flowing. The whole Munster team was putting its body on the line, though. The number of turnovers we were getting, and not just from Byrne, Omani was getting them, Stander was getting them, Chris Farrell pitched in with one at one stage... It just seemed like the game plan was to slow Edinburgh down to make them have to play with messy ruck ball, and it worked. Even their back row, which we talked about before the game, Barkley, Mata, and Watson, is serious talent, and they couldn't really get parity for a lot of the game.
0: And if you look, especially look at the sequence of playing that opening ten minutes, Edinburgh camped in the Monster twenty-two. They turned down kickable penalties which we mentioned which is a sin but they got turned over twice at the breakdown on the Munster try line that's where you need your back row at their best they learned from that and just varied up their game enough slightly to get their try in that first half but I think mentally the damage was already done
1: and speaking of mentally Munster having to deal with losing their starting fullback just before kickoff Having to deal with Joey Carberry seeing a reoccurrence of that hamstring injury before half time, had to deal with a lot of chopping and changing as well. Not to mention Jack O'Donohue, who started the game really well, going off injured as well. But it, they just didn't let it phase them. Picking Jack over Chris Clote was a masterstroke because Clote would have been giving away penalties in those situations. <laughs> yeah, Jack picked for his intellect as much as his playing skill. But brains was always going to be a strength for Munster. They've just done this so many times before—14 semi-finals now. That's an incredible record.
0: It is. And it doesn't help when Edinburgh really look like they haven't been in the situation much. Mata being quiet by his standards. Vandermeer being marshaled by Earls. Just before half-time, duhan catches a kick and he ends the half. Leinster and Munster, they progress up the field in the, with the clock being red. You can't do that in knockout rugby.
1: The, and you're right that is a little psychological battle if Munster who were behind at that stage had kicked the ball out there's just a little psychological switch but no they made Edinburgh play the ball dead for half time and the smallest of moments can have a huge effect in knockout rugby because it is just 80 minutes on the day look at Pierre Showman. he will be furious with himself and this won't be the first time we talk about one player in one moment over the course of the podcast but just dropping his shoulder into Tyburn, Byrne who milked it but Penalty, monster go down the pitch. A couple of phases later, Earls goes over for a second try.
0: Otherwise, that would have been Edinburgh penalty after a late hit. Now, a dubious late hit, but the ref was going for it anyway. But in that try, Edinburgh's defensive array, for the first time in the game, lacked its shape and they weren't communicating their numbers properly. And with players like Scannell and Farrell midfield, they got that ball to Earls and he's only got one thing on his mind.
1: Well, It was just quick ruck ball. Really good availability and as you said, Edinburgh hadn't got their defence set. Rory Scandal and Chris Farrell are good passers of the ball and from five ten metres out, you're going to put money on Earls getting that try every time. Munster progressing to the semi-final now, what can they build on? Where did they win this game?
0: They won this game at the breakdown, firstly. They just were turning over so much ball, but their intensity levels never dropped across the 80 minutes. When you can bring on the likes of Billy Holland, who's stealing you a line out with minutes to go, they're just match-winning moments.
1: And I think the defence was a huge thing as well. The tackle stats on this, for some reason, don't look quite as good as I would have expected. They're about 87%. Whereas, looking at Munster, I I can't count a lot of missed front-up tackles. Probably where that is, is multiple players tackling at the same time. Because... The number of line breaks and clean breaks that Edinburgh got was just insanely low. And you can tell they were missing key players who are game changers for them. Claire Kinghorn probably first among that list. It was an incredibly strong defensive performance though for Munster. Everybody put real bodies on the line stuff in a way that you only really see from Munster in the Heineken Cup. Like That's the intensity we need for every game for the rest of the season.
0: Edinburgh still have something to play for. They need to cut out the mistakes in their game. And there were a few just creeping in across the match
1: that won't get them to finals and semi-finals, which this team almost deserved to be in. But it has the potential to, you look at last season in the Pro 14 knockouts, Edinburgh had to travel to Thomond Park and again got knocked out by Munster. It's becoming a bit of a recurring theme. But Richard Cockerell is clearly building a high-quality team there. They just need to be at this level of knockout rugby before you know what to do. Pure and, experience. And they
0: need to up their conversion rate. Being inside the option 22 and not scoring, even three-pointers isn't good enough. Whereas if you look at Munster, five times in the option 22, three scores. Munster, though, need to be in the opposition 22 more. And facing Saris in the next round, that has to improve.
1: It does. And we'll move on to talk about that game because if there's anything Saracens are going to do in the semi-final you can bet on, it's score points. They certainly did that against Glasgow, beating them 56 points to 27. And I watched this game back and it was a runaway victory. I know Glasgow on the scoreboard were in it for the first 30, 35 minutes. But they never looked like they were going to win this game to me. No. Even when they went 7-0 up. <laughs> I
0: know exactly what you mean. It's very much the flip side of the knockout rugby coin. First match of the day, tight, contested, what's going to happen? But the second Saracens got ahead in this game and Glasgow started to force everything they did, the floodgates opened for Saracens to really just push on and put up a cricket score.
1: And they had to do that without their starting halfbacks. Richard Wigglesworth not playing today. Ben Spencer preferred. And... Owen Farrell basically (laughs) ringing the coach from the hospital being like, I can get there in time because his wife was in labour. Like, that's a big disruption to any team and particularly a team like Saracens who runs so much of their game through the halfbacks. But they stood up in a big way, Alex Good stepping in to 10 from his normal fullback position and playing outstanding rugby. It just helps when pretty much
0: every player in a Saracens jersey was making front football in their carries. It's easy for people to talk about Maro Toge, Vinopola, George Cruz. You know, they're names that people know, but everyone, I mean, everyone was making game line advantage on their carries.
1: Forwards and backs, like you've got the likes of Jackson Ray, who's a really unheralded player within that back row as well. But Brad Barrett was making ground. Alex Lazowski was making ground. These aren't necessarily superstars of that team. I don't think anybody could legitimately use the term superstar to describe Brad Barrett. But the amount of breaks they were getting, and you know, you said it, it's collisions. They won virtually every collision all day. And the only time that Glasgow looked even at the races was when they were able to get around Saracens and avoid contact.
0: And the thing is, any time they did that, they pretty much scored or made really good yards. This game was lost by Glasgow in the collision and in the aerial battle. They were losing the contest in the air, and they were losing the kicking game in general. Their territory finders were poor, and Stuart Hogg just didn't know how to kick a ball for the eighty minutes.
1: Like, Stuart Hogg had as bad a day at the office as his hairdresser did when he put that monstrosity on top of his head. It was a nightmare. He couldn't find touch, and other than some really good attacking lines going forward, like, two dropouts out on the full? That's basic, basic stuff. And... What was really annoying to see is
0: the clocks in the red at the end of the first half. Glasgow are five metres away from the Saracen's try line and Hog forces it. Yep. like That puts them back into it in three or four going into the halftime
1: break. It's as good as Saracen scoring another try at that point. It just let them off completely, no pressure. And they came out in the second half. And in addition to continuing to win all of the collisions, they were able to up the intensity at the ruck and just get quick ball whenever they felt like it. But they managed the pace of the game really well. Really quick ruck ball, couple of quick phases, slow it down, grind it out, suck Glasgow in, and then quick again.
0: It was fantastic. And it was in those quicker phases when Glasgow kind of showed what they are about. Look at the breakdown. When the game sped up a small bit and there was a bit more space, they were enforcing turnovers. And, you know, that's what they're good at.
1: Definitely. But they were getting away with murder on their own ruck ball. I don't know how long after Nigel Owens calls use it. He actually intends to give a free kick, but it appears to be longer than about 20 seconds on some of those cases.
0: My favourite one was use it. Use, use, it, use now. it now. Now. Just, just Use it. Ali. Ali. Just give the free kick. Like I know he wants to keep the game flowing and keep the ball with the team, but the laws are
1: there for a reason. It drives me mad. Look, for Glasgow, there's not a lot to salvage from this game. They were badly beaten up by a Saracens team who had the measure of them, were able to shut down their attacking threats. Hastings was pretty anonymous playing behind a pack that was getting driven backwards at a rate of knots.
0: Look, that's Glasgow's European journey done with, but they are very much in the Pro 14 hunt. They're not going to come up against a team that play like Saracens in the Pro 14, so they will have a bit more space to really attack, and they will be able to find the space on the outside edges to really attack and just flood those channels with players.
1: Well, I'll put it this way. They're not in the same free fall that they were last year when they were riding high at the top of Conference A. They need tough opposition like this to sharpen them for that business end of the season. So, you know, disappointing for them from a European perspective, certainly, but may do them good in the run of the Pro 14.
0: And to finish off Saturday and the Pro 14's interest in the Champions Cup, Leinster hosted Ulster and squeaked out a 21
1: point to 18 win. This, this was not the quarterfinal performance that Leinster ordered.
0: And Ulster did not read the script. This no. wasn't
1: meant to be this close. It wasn't, but you know what? Just an extraordinary performance from Ulster that I didn't think they had in them before this game. And particularly when you look at Noel Addison, who's such an attacking force for them, the challenges they had trying to get a fully fit team out, Michael Lowry at fullback when he's under a lot of physical pressure, and then losing Rory Best after, what, 15 minutes? It's an extraordinary testament to that team that they were able to have a game be as close as it was.
0: But every single player upped their game to a level they haven't yet. And the Dan McFarland effect is really, really coming to the fore on the pack. Mm. Henderson, incredible. Treadwell, hit like mad. Herring, when he came on for best, had. He had a great game, actually. Was really good. O'Sullivan, we cannot
1: keep saying how good this kid is. Moore had one of his best games in an Ulster jersey. But then you've got the X factor for this Ulster team, which is Jacob Stockdale. And like <laughs> there was some brilliant moment really early in the game where he makes a break down the blind side and literally four Leinster players swarm him over the touchline. Oh,
0: it was proper panic stations when he got the ball. It's one of Ulster's big failings in this game of just literally just give the ball to Stockdale. Like They're that worried just by the virtue of how many players would go towards him, you'd create space for other players. And I don't think he got hands on ball enough.
1: I would agree with that, and I think part of that is they're still understanding their attack patterns, and I suspect they were quite disrupted in training this week. If that's in the Ireland camp, we've got so many moves to get a blindside winger back on the ball or players running lines behind malls or or, or even from scrum stuff. The Ulster coaching team just don't have that level of sophistication yet from what we saw on display, but what they do have and what you can't really coach is that will to win. They put everything on the line to try and stop Leinster and very nearly did it. And the opening score of the game came from
0: a Leinster mistake. The usually impeccable Gary Ringrose fluffing his lines on a kick and not only was Best there to block him down but Henderson was there as well and who finishes off but Treadwell. That's three forwards in the opposition 22 causing a block down and then scoring the follow-up try.
1: But chasing one of the quickest Irish backs through their backfield and putting him under enough pressure to give that away Although, to be fair, Leinster responded in a pretty emphatic fashion.
0: In a pretty Leinster fashion.
1: <laughs> yeah, that too. Leinster hanging onto the ball, building pressure through multiple phases. Every week, Boric. Every week. <laughs> C- creating some space and putting Byrne into a one-on-one with Balakun, whose naivety just showed.
0: Yeah, like I don't think Balakun's case was held by Stockdale clearly going, Byrne's going to pass this and looking for an intercept ball. But Balakun should have made his one-up tackle.
1: Definitely. We talked in the Munster game about the number of jackal penalties. Keane Healy had two or three in the first half. When did this become a thing? Like, when did this actually become a thing for <laughs> Keane Healy? Like, I didn't
0: notice what's in his repertoire.
1: See, I, th- I actually think this is since he's slimmed down. His body shape is better suited to getting over the ball. Because... The rest of him isn't in the way anymore. But he was outstanding. And you try and move in amongst his latched.
0: That's fair. Like, the Leinster pack were incredible. Like, Ryan has to just get a mention because he was just immense. Mm -hmm. I loved every time himself and Henderson came up against each other. because I actually thought the universe was going to implode.
1: (laughs) Well, the other player who, for me, really stood up in Leinster is Jack Conan. Like, I'm a huge CJ Sander fan. I think he works very well within the Irish system. Jack Conan offers something a little bit different. But when you put him in a back row with Sean O'Brien and Reese Roddock, and he is head and shoulders the best back rower in that game. He even out Sean Cutsey, who we
0: haven't name-checked yet.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, rare as well. <laughs> he, he was actually one player who was probably a little quiet by his own extraordinary standards.
0: But where Lenseret down in their pack was actually Sean O'Brien and Sean Cronin. Sean Cronin's great in the loose, but I think, once again, his failings as a hooker were shining again, and Sean O'Brien were getting sat down off tackles and got hooked off for Levy. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, that wasn't a tactical substitution or fitness substitution. That was, Sean, no.
1: <laughs> well, unfortunately, what then happened to Levy was just a disaster. Heartbreaking,
0: like just heartbreaking.
1: you got to hope, looking at it from an international perspective, there's some chance of him being able to get fitness back and be available for the World Cup. He's such an important part of the squad. He's
0: just such an incredible player. He's a proper seven. And his injuries show. He puts his body on the line for Leinster, Ireland, you know, Maynooth, Bees,
1: if he was playing for them. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty committed from that point of view. Look, the story of this first half was a pretty tightly contested game. And the second was kind of about opportunity creation and then being smart about taking them. Stockdale has already come out and apologised to the Ulster fans for just a moment of madness where he fluffed his lines and didn't put the ball down.
0: Well, the thing is... He always dots the ball down like that with one hand. There's an interview with Nigel Carlin from last year saying at under twenty level it would give them heart attacks because that's what he always used to do. Mm. He was in that position because of himself. He is a naturally gifted winger. He has learnt the hardest of all lessons and is now going to be a better winger and a scarier prospect to come against.
1: And from Lencer's point of view, they created two almost identical opportunities. The first one, Sean Cronin, again, probably butchered by not giving the pass to his winger. But then Jack Conan with a brilliant breakthrough into a pocket that was sneakily created by a nice clean out from Rhys Ruddock.
0: I was watching this live and I was shouting at the TV, give Ruddock praise, give him praise, (laughs) because it was such a great clear out. He just angled a path for Conan to run through and Conan did not need to be asked twice to take that gap
1: and Byrne running a really good support line outside to to make it the simplest of tries. Although Ulster got this back to 18-0, Marshall coming off the bench and getting a try. I just remember I saw someone pat him on the head afterwards. I was like, not the head, not the head. Hollywood return. Yeah. You know, your first game of the season
0: and your first two touches are a dubious pass to create the gap on the outside
1: (laughs) and then to finish off the move on the other. It was brilliant. Speaking of brilliant... Ross Byrne on like one and a half legs, stepping up and kicking over the winning penalty.
0: That was unreal. Like I don't know how the Leinster boys will be able to put up with his ego afterwards because he'll be walking around like Conor McGregor for days.
1: Yeah, the arms are... here. Here's my chest, my arms are following. (laughs) No, it, it was amazing. And then to stick the 40 plus phases in the last couple of minutes and hold them out, it's incredible.
0: I think Ulster need to look at themselves there. If they made more of an effort to take a jackal, I think the ref would have had to penalise Leinster for singling off. It was two or three man carries, you've got to paint a picture for the ref and Ulster weren't doing enough work to make it look like they're trying to get the ball back.
1: True, Ulster need to play probably a little bit smarter and that's something they can take into the last couple of games of the season. But they can be incredibly proud of the run they've had in Europe this year. Given where the club was last year, potentially on the verge of not even qualifying for the Champions Cup it's been an outstanding tournament performance for them.
0: I think this season to date has been above and beyond what we definitely expected from them. And I'd say Ulster fans are happy. And I'd say they're happy with that performance. The intensity, the physicality, the commitment every player showed in an Ulster jersey like, can only give you hope in the future.
1: And speaking of hope, and speaking of hope, Leinster now hoping to go on and get their fifth title in a four-star versus four-star shootout in the Aviva. Toulouse squeaking out the narrowest of wins against Racing in their insane three-sided stadium. In the maddest of rugby matches ever played. Just lunatic. We're not even sure if our podcast covers whatever sport that was supposed to be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was madness.
1: Enjoyable, enjoyable madness. Definitely. Um, Disappointment for Racing, obviously, and nobody but themselves to blame. And that's the Champions Cup
0: dealt with. And now my sorrow begins.
1: Well, on a... Pretty clear, good-conditioned evening, Sail Sharks decided to host Connacht in a rematch of the pool game that ended much the same way. This was not good. This was just a
0: terrible game. I was over there. It's taken me till Sunday to recover from the disappointment, and even still, there's still a bit of bitter taste for my mouth. Still got it. Yeah. It had the
1: potential to start so well, Carty with that extraordinary breakaway But from the minute that he fluffed the offload, Godwin knocks it on, and they give up a guaranteed seven-pointer. You just felt like it wasn't going to be Connacht's day.
0: It's one of those things where I had to watch the match back again to see how bad an offload it was. Like, I think Jack just had to get the ball back. It doesn't matter how he did it, but he just had to get it backwards. Because he was getting disrupted at that point. He was. Godwin had to kick the ball.
1: He had to kick it. But the other player who deserves a bit of a kick for this, Bundy could have done a lot more work to give him an option off his other hand. Like... Very much was jogging along behind the two boys.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something in the first half that was an issue for Connacht Rugby. We just weren't at the races intensity level wise. Sale dominated us in the opening half, the opening 60 minutes really.
1: And that game was being played on Sale's terms. And it's not just a physical intensity, because Sale were pretty dominant in the collision, but even mentally, they just weren't switched on, not getting numbers right on simple set-piece stuff and leaving so much space for Sale to find out why.
0: Being dragged left and right far too easily, like it was just so disheartening to see how easy it was for Sale to score. And even Jack Carty's
1: usual variation in attack wasn't there. It was hands across the line and average kicking.
0: It really wasn't good enough, but I was impressed with how Sale defended us. They weren't defending Jack. They were defending the space outside the first receiver, and they always had two men in the backfield. So Jack had nowhere to kick to most of the time, and his passing options weren't ever on because they didn't care about tackling him. Mm. They just wanted to make sure he couldn't create space.
1: Which they did really effectively, but 20 points to three down at half time, huge mountain to climb, and... I guess starting to claw back a little bit of pride and credit, did get that try in the second half and at least make a contest of it.
0: When the substitutes came on, and especially those in the pack, we started to match the physicality off sale. And when we did that, we were able to get on the front foot and do something with the ball. The problem is, Jack had gone off injured and Godwin was at 10. Andy Friend has said Godwin's not at 10. And there are times in this game he really proved it. But
1: that for me comes back to a general question I had, even when the team sheets came out for this one. If your substitute backer coming on and evening up the physical contest, if you don't have another proper 10 to come into that slot when Carty goes off injured, you've got to ask questions about selection here. Because for me, this isn't Connacht putting their best foot forward. If the management are as invested in the outcome of this game as they are in the run into the Pro 14, then I don't think that's the starting 15 you pick.
0: No, and given the fact that Sale, La Rochelle and Claremont are more than likely going to qualify for the Champions Cup from their own leagues next season. Getting into the semi-finals for Connacht was enough to get into the Champions Cup next season because that's how the qualification works.
1: It feels like a real lost opportunity. Although having said that, I completely get that the domestic league is probably the big priority from a Connacht point of view. That's what gives the big Friday night fixtures. It's what brings the money in. But... Just a little disappointing to see what looks like a prioritisation of domestic league over European Cup.
0: But look, that's our Challenge Cup dream over, our hunt for silverware in that competition done. Looking forward, there are few things we can take from it. Like Godwin's physicality is great. He barged over three players to get his try. Guts of Darrell Eder with 79 minutes and 30 seconds on the clock to take a penalty from 60 metres. And to
1: rush it so that they had time to go back for a try if he'd been successful. Look, he missed. But hugely courageous. Oh,
0: I I all credit to the lad. And to be honest, that full last 20 minutes when we looked
1: like we might get something from it, everyone stepped up their game. That's the intensity and that's the precision that you need for, for these last couple of games of domestic competition.
0: Especially Cardiff at home in two weeks' time. That is a big game. And effectively, our pathway into the Champions Cup next season
1: for sure, do you want to talk about the Finley bielam incident at the end?
0: I do because I am completely disgusted at Reynal for his complete ridiculous inability to ref a situation that just needed a cool head to stop the game, get Finley off the pitch, mm. and let everything continue
1: so this was obviously this was accidental, but like a really nasty hand injury that Finlay suffered and Renald didn't stop the game didn't allow him to get medical attention didn't seem to know what to do with the scrum it was just a disaster
0: but even look at the visuals of it a player screaming on the ground kicking his legs blood pumping because he can see his bone I found this out after the fact by the way he's got (laughs) I know he got rushed to hospital like ambulance blue lights the full works get 24 stitches on his finger Uh and The game wasn't stopped. And then when he's walking off, retching because he obviously is in huge amounts of pain and on painkillers that are just mixing badly. Connacht are attacking around him. Like, what ref in their right mind lets that situation continue? And then when he is off, not knowing how to deal with uncontested scrums or teams needing players on the pitch. It's just madness. It's a bit silly. It's Reynal, You know, the guy that John (laughs) Muldoon convinced could use laws six months earlier. That was great. That's still
1: one of my favourite college moments.
0: But still, that situation was ridiculous. I'm actually getting angry thinking
1: about it. So let's move on. Yeah. So sail obviously through to the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup, where, as we said earlier, they're joined by Harlequins, La Rochelle and Claremont. It's an impressive lineup for the semis.
0: Yeah, the Challenge Cup, when it gets to that level, is a really good competition. And it focuses teams' minds because it gives them an extra avenue into the Heineken Champions Cup.
1: We look at the semi-final draw. In the Champions Cup, we've got Saracens hosting Munster and Leinster hosting Toulouse. Two great games. Crackers. Like, every team in that quarterfinal is a multiple champion. That's the dream from a marketing perspective. Like, there's over 10 European Cups between all these teams. Craziness. And eight of them are between Leicester and Duluth. (laughs) Eight of them in the one game. That's where it's like, yeah, me and Michael Jordan scored 200 baskets collectively. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the Challenge Cup, then, we have Claremont hosting Harlequins. And La Rochelle will be welcoming Sale to France. Great games. I'm expecting home wins. but Home wins at an all-French final in Newcastle. That'll be well attended. Two different language barriers. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: Look, we'll move on to our second row top performer and clown the round. And we do love hearing your suggestions for the top performer and clown the round. So please get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And this week, I'm going to you pick our top performer.
1: So there was a couple of contenders for this from a couple of different games. Really impressed by the physicality of some of the Ulster pack in particular, but couldn't look past Keith Earls for our top performer this week. Not just the two tries, not just the quick attacking options, but in particular, his defense was outrageous. At one point, he stopped a full-speed Duhan van der Dead in his tracks. And that was in the first 10 minutes of the game. Talk about setting out your stall early and making a statement about you will not be pushed backwards one inch. He was so up for this match. I made a
0: joke going, oh, look, there's a loose ball. Oh, wait, there's Keith Earls. And then every time there's a loose ball... There was Keith Earls. He just seemed to be first to everything.
1: And you know what? He played with exactly the kind of maturity that you expect from someone who's played in an awful lot of those 14 previous quarterfinals. He knows exactly what to do at this type of a level and just showed what an unbelievable class player he is. We normally try and avoid giving top performer to man of the match winners, but I think we need to make an exception in this case. Uh, He
0: was head and shoulders above any other contender. It's the easy option.
1: Yeah, we'd be trying to do some pretty significant mental gymnastics to give it to anybody else after that performance. Pretty much. So, what about you, Park? Clown of the round. Connaught
0: coming for this one? W- welcome to mental gymnastics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was sure it was going to be Stuart Hogg's barber when I turned on the highlights of that game.
0: And I'm sure everyone's going to go, it must be Stockdale, it must be Schumann. No. It's not. Those two guys literally lost their team the match. And this isn't about doing that to someone. They know what they've done. For me, it's Kyle Godwin. And Connor getting back into the game, penalty in front of the post. We have to go for the corner. And he kicks the ball dead. Mm. Like, it was a momentum killer. It's clownish. And I feel for him. I do. He made up for it with a try. But it wasn't what was needed at that time.
1: Yeah, I mean... I think the one that I would have loved to give Clown of the Round to, and this was Jordan Larmor, who very nearly got obliterated when he tried to call a mark outside the 22, but he got away with it too well to get the award. Yeah, if he got obliterated, he would have got the award. <laughs> yeah, at this level of the competition with these quality of games, you're really struggling to find our, our, our coveted Clown of the Round, but yeah. I think that's probably a fair call. So
0: look, that's the second row top performer,
1: Keith Earls, and the second row Clown of the Round, Kyle Godwin. We look forward to next week's fixtures and we're back to domestic action. Round 19 of the Pro 14 and some very important games here in both conferences.
0: Every game now is a knockout match, given how tight both these conferences are.
1: Well, yeah, at the top of the conferences anyway.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) So look, we start the action on Friday night. Glasgow will host Ulster. Glasgow don't have much to play for, but they need to build momentum for the knockout stages of this competition.
1: Definitely. I think... With the second game, you see Munster hosting Cardiff. And really, Munster are the ones, I think, who would like the week off, please. So they'll be really eager to try and catch Glasgow and overtake them to get to the top of Conference A. Cardiff, on the other hand, are scrapping it out with Connacht for that last qualifying spot.
0: It'll be the one week where we're happy that you're seeing the Fields of Athenry because, as Connacht fans, we'll want you to win that match so much.
1: Saturday, there's a couple of games which, respectfully, don't matter. Southern Kings are playing Dragons and Cheetahs are playing Ospreys. Nothing really at stake in those matches. No.
0: At half five then on Saturday, Connacht travelled to Zebrae needing a win, especially given that Cardiff played the night before, they'll know what's needed and required to really push on and put the first block in place to guarantee third place in the conference.
1: With Ulster having gone first on Friday, the other big hitters in Conference B are up late on Saturday evening. Scarletts host Edinburgh, and Scarlets will be looking to bounce back from a poor result against Cardiff. Leinster then host Benetton in a fixture that Benetton won last year and very nearly propelled them into Europe. They might need the win again here.
0: Benetton had the week off this week. Scars had the week off this week. Cardiff had the week off this week. How much of an impact will that have on their preparation and how fresh and ready to go will they be this weekend?
1: It's all about conditioning. And I think that's one thing that we've seen, particularly the Italian teams. Their fitness has been good, but they will definitely appreciate the week off within the Irish teams I think you're going to see a good bit of rotation you should start to see a bit more of the squad being used probably the same for the Scottish guys makes it hard to call
0: it really does and you know you can't jinx a team so you don't call zip and that's us thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week to recap all the Pro 14 action so until next time good luck take care and thanks for listening bye bye